We are in Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. Starting Genesis chapter 8 today. The end of chapter of Genesis chapter 7, the last verse says that, that the water prevailed upon the earth 150 days. So Noah is now in this ark 150 days. It's actually going to be 375 days, a year and 10 days from the day they walked into the ark till the day that they walked out. So he's been in this ark now for 150 days without a word from God. He had a word seven days before the flood hit. God said, start to work your way into the ark and bring in some, and the animals are going to come. Seven days before. Then the ark, God closed the door of the ark, and he's not heard a word from God that's recorded. You say, well, maybe he heard a word from God, he didn't record it. No, you're not going to spend 150 days in the ark and hear a word from God and not write it down, not record this thing. So for 150 days, he has not heard from God. God told them to get into the ark. And then it says in verse one of chapter eight, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark. And God caused a wind to pass over the earth and the water subsided and the fountains of the deep And the floodgates of the sky were closed, and the rain from the sky was restrained, and the water receded steadily from the earth. And at the end of 150 days, the water decreased. In the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark rested upon the ark, uh, upon the mountain of Ararat. The water decreased steadily until the tenth month. In the tenth of the month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains became visible. Then it came about at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made and he sent out a raven and it flew here and there until the water was dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove from him to see if the water was abated from the face of the land but the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. So she returned to him into the ark for the water was on the surface of the earth. Then he put out his hand and he took her and he brought her into the ark himself. So he waited yet another seven days, and again he sent out the dove from the ark. The dove came to him toward the evening, and behold, in her beak was a freshly picked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the water was abated from the earth. Then he waited yet another seven days, and he sent out the dove, but she did not return to him again. Now it came about in the six hundredth and first year, in the first month, on the first of the month, that the water was dried up from the earth. Then Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the surface of the ground was dried up. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dry. Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all the flesh that is with you, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may breed abundantly on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by their families from the ark. Verse 1 says, but God remembered Noah. So do you think for 150 days he was off doing something else and he goes, oh my goodness, I just Noah, I left him in the ark. What am I going to do? No. That's not what remembered means. 
in the scriptures. Remember means to move toward or to act upon. To act upon. To move toward or to act upon. This is the first time the word remembered is used in the Bible in this way. It's used again many times throughout the scriptures. For example, in Genesis chapter 19, verse 29, it says God remembered Abraham, Abraham's family in particular, meaning Lot, and protected him. In Genesis chapter 30, verse 22, it says God remembered Rachel, and he opened up her womb. In Exodus 2.24, he, he says he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He acted upon the covenant. Jeremiah 2.2 says he remembered Israel to restore it. And then again in the New Testament, in Luke 1.54 and 55, it says God remembered Israel to send them the Messiah. This is what he, he remembers. So he acts upon things. The other interesting thing here in this first verse is that is that it says, and God caused a wind to pass over the earth and the water subsided. That word wind, which is translated wind, is ruach. That is the same word from Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, when it says, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. Ruach, the Spirit. In that context, it's translated spirit. The same word. You wonder if Noah certainly knowing the origins because it must have been God that explained this to Adam and then Adam passing this down. Remember, Adam's life overlapped, overlapped with all of these people up until Noah. Adam's life overlapped with these because their, their lifespans were so long. So you see this connection and this remembering that God remembers. God remembers. They were drifting around for 150 days. Now, People have looked at the calculations. If you have that much water, and remember, the water didn't just come from above. It says the fountains of the deep opened up and pushed water up. In fact, in Psalm 104, one could read it that in the oceans, the, the, the valleys in the oceans were raised up and pushed out the waters. We're not sure of that, but it could be. We've seen the effects of a tsunami just a little earthquake under the oceans, the devastation it, 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 can, it can afford. There was a tremendous amount of energy that was put into this upheaval to bring that much water up, a huge amount of energy. That means that then when they were in this ark, it wasn't like, you know, they were just looking out over these pristine waters and, and rejoicing all day. This was extremely rough weather that they were in. When you're in a situation with extremely rough surroundings, even with strangers, it actually builds up relationships between people. If you've gone through times of suffering, I remember I was in a cab, I was visiting Georgia Tech, and this was before the days of Uber, and I was in a cab going from the airport to Georgia Tech, the hotel there on campus. And, and uh, uh, we, we were driving, and a, and a young student she ran a red light and she T-boned the, the cab. And, you know, the airbags blew out and the windows broke. And, and I had my seatbelt on or else I'd have gone flying. And I had my seatbelt on. And I remembered that we got out of the car and the cab driver and I moved to the, the, the sidewalk at the intersection there. And we just hugged each other because we were alive. And, and I, I had a broken rib from the, from the seatbelt. 
But at that point, I didn't even know it was broken. I was just glad to be alive. And here I am hugging the cab driver. I don't normally hug the cab driver, but because we had been through that experience together, it was just, just, we just hugged each other. Going through this sort of event will bring relationships between people and people and animals. They were all in this very rough event together for 150 days. A huge amount of energy for at least 40 days had been put forth. And now in the water receding, there's a huge amount of energy going back. And you've probably got vortexes forming and all sorts of things that are tossing this, this arc around that is directionless, that's just floating. 150 days. They couldn't even look out. Remember, there was just a window at the top, and that was closed. And then there was this, this, this opening across the top that let air in. But it was, wasn't like he was standing on the deck of some ship. They were all inside. 150 days without a word from God. And this is often what suffering is like. It's not suffering for five minutes. It's suffering an extended time period. You lose a loved one who's very close to you. You lose a spouse or a child. This persists for long periods of time. They're suffering. And sometimes you can look in the midst of this and you say, where is God? Where is God? I'm not hearing a voice. But what happens is there are little treasures that he brings in, little treasures that mean a lot to you in the midst of turmoil. So he sends out a dove, and a dove brings back an olive leaf. And Noah is like, yes, the water is receding, and this leaf, this leaf means that the trees are still there. The trees were under the water, they're still there. This little sign, it wasn't like, what are you bringing back this leaf for I mean, he probably brought that, that olive leaf. He wrote about this and he recorded this. He brought it to show his family little things. When you're going through turmoil, you'll hear a little word that normally wouldn't strike you at all. But now you read a text in the scriptures and it, it impacts you. God gets a hold of our hearts in times of turmoil, in times of trouble. He gets a hold of our heart. They were drifting around for 150 days but they still had a long time waiting for the waters to recede. They're on Mount Ararat, which is in northern Turkey, southern Russia, Armenia. That mountain range intersects those three countries. And that's where that arc, that, that structure of a big ship has been found that actually matches these dimensions. But in any case, God gets a hold of our hearts and he sustains us in the midst of it. His ability to sustain us in the midst of trouble, is amazing. Trouble doesn't always go away quickly. It wasn't like, oh, my spouse died, but that was yesterday. Now, I'm all better today. No, this thing persists. Things happen that affect us for periods of time. You go through about, say, with, with cancer. You go through chemotherapy and treatment. This is often a year-long saga in your life. And there's little words that are dropped in Little signs that are dropped in, even if we don't hear a specific word. Little signs, and God gives us and he speaks to us. I want to look at a, a verse in Habakkuk. Habakkuk is one of the minor prophets. In chapter 3 of Habakkuk, Habakkuk, verse 17, 
So this is a few books before the New Testament, one of the minor prophets. Habakkuk 3, verse 17, it says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, and though there be no fruit in the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no fruit, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength, and He has made my feet like hinds feet, and He makes me to walk on the high places for the choir director on my stringed instruments. You can be going through something and thinking, where is God in the midst of this? God, why would you allow this to happen to me? If you loved me, why would you allow this to happen? What do you think Noah is thinking about after 150 days? Storm-tossed for at least 40 of those, and then however many it needed until the boat hit that area and fastened after 150 days on the side of a mountain, going through all these vortexes and, and all this storm. Think about what he's going through, what he doesn't get to see. This is what the trials of life are. Now, could you have been a more godly man than Noah? It says Noah, among his generation, was the only one that was found righteous. I mean, Noah was a pretty good guy. In fact, in the Old Testament, it refers to three outstanding people and it lumps them together. It says Noah, Job, and Daniel. It says if Noah, Job, and Daniel, by their own righteousness, if they had their own righteousness, could have only saved themselves, nobody else. And what the comparison is, Jesus in his righteousness saves all of us. If Jesus were just a man like Noah, Job, or Daniel... He only, would have, he only would have saved himself through his righteous life. Noah is spoken of very, very highly. Righteous people go through afflictions. And afflictions don't go away in a day. People who love the Lord go through afflictions. Problems come at them. And then in the midst of that, you're wondering, where is God? Where is God's voice? How come he's not speaking to me anymore? But he'll drop in little signs, little signs on occasion to help you to know that he is there. This in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17, it says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields of the produce, fields produce no fruit, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls. In other words, nothing is working out here. Nothing's working out. I got no fig trees aren't, aren't, aren't giving me any fruit. No fruit on any of the trees. There's no olives. There's no, no, no food in the fields. The cattle are failing. And there's no cattle in the stalls. Everything is falling apart. And look what the writer of Habakkuk, look what Habakkuk writes. Yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. It is an act of the will. It is an act of the will. I will continue to seek my God in the midst of this. It is an act of the will. I will continue to seek God in the midst of this trouble, in the midst of the, these problems. I will continue to seek the Lord. It is an act of the will that we do this. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. It's not, I find myself rejoicing. No, I will rejoice. I make this decision. Are you having some sort of trouble, some sort of sickness? 
you make a decision to follow the Lord. It says, and he, he then starts recounting who God is. The Lord God is my strength in verse 19. And he makes my feet like hinds feet. In other words, he makes me like a gazelle. He is the one who lifts me up. He is the one who lifts me up. He is the one that drives me. He is the one that gives me success. And he repeats this to himself. The Lord God is my strength. In other words, there's no strength in me. It's God. There is no strength in me, but the Lord God is my strength. He makes my feet like hinds feet. He makes me walk on the high places. Then he says, I'm not done here. I'm not just proclaiming this. He says, I want the choir director to take these words and put it on the stringed instrument. I'm going to sing this. I'm going to sing this. It is an act of the will. There is this act of the will that takes place. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Start reading from verse 3. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. Knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And not only this, but we exult in our tribulations. Look what he says. He says, we are going to rejoice in our tribulations. Knowing that tribulations brings about perseverance. Why would God bring tribulation in our lives? Why would he do it? If he loves us, just keep us free of this, right? If he loves us, just, you know, gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy, just provide for me. I'll just sit here and provide for me. If, 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 uh, if this is what it's all about. He says, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. It is our times of trouble in our lives that brings proven character, and proven character brings hope, and it says hope does not disappoint. Hope does not disappoint. You will always come out of tribulation the stronger. Nobody enjoys tribulation, but they always come out the stronger. The times in my life where I look back and I was going through things and it was terribly uncomfortable, that has brought about proven character. And it says, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For, a, for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus died for you. Jesus gave his life for you while you were in the state you were in. You do not have to work yourself into an acceptable state to be saved. It says Jesus Christ died for the ungodly in, in verse 6. For one would hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good one, one someone may dare, dare to die. But Jesus died for the ungodly in the state that you are in. You come and you ask God, Lord, forgive me and fill my life. Jesus died for you in the state that you're in. In verse 8 of Romans chapter 5, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he remembers you. He remembers you. He looks upon you with compassion. If you do not know the Lord, he's looking upon you today with compassion. God is looking upon you with compassion. And he remembers you. He knows your struggles. He knows your pains. He knows your cares. He knows the desires of your heart. 
He knows that. And He remembers you. Turn to, to Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25. I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. I wipe out your transgressions and I will not remember your sins. That's what God says. He says, I wipe out your transgressions. Wherever you are, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus has died for you. He has already died for you and opened up a way for you to come to Him. And He says, I will take your sins and I will wipe them out. I will wipe them clean. And I will remember them no more. When God says, remember, He says, I will not act upon them. It isn't that God forgets something. He chooses not to act upon them. Forgiveness comes. That's what He has for you. To the believer, I reiterate, you will go through times of pain, times of struggle. You will go through floods in your life where things get destroyed. And you wonder, why would God allow this? When that flood is over in your life, you will look back and you will say, there is a treasure that has come in my life as a result of that flood that I never could have had in any other way. I look back at those times in my life and I say, Lord, I thank you for that because of what it has wrought in my life. I thank you for that pain because of what it has done in my life. That's the beautiful thing of the gospel. He takes those times of pain and he builds proven character. And then he comes to those who are lost and he says, come to me. That is the message of the gospel. Come to me. Come to me this day. Come to me. And you shall come. The Bible says, and they shall come from the east and the west and the north and the south. They shall come and they shall sit at the table in the kingdom of God. God will draw you. He doesn't ask you for your consent, but he will get it. God will draw you. God has drawn you. And you will feel the tug of God on your heart even now. You will feel the tug on your heart where God is drawing you. That is God drawing you because if it were not for that tug, you would be totally disinterested in the Lord. No man can come to me unless the Father draws him, the scriptures say. No man can come to me unless the Father draws him. That is the tug of the Holy Spirit on your heart, saying, yield today. I will get you. He has his elect, and he will get you. Come now, before you utterly destroy your life, before you lose your family in the process. Come now. Come to him. Come to him. He says, come to me. I will wipe out your transgressions, and I will remember your sins no more. My biggest problem, why I never came earlier to the Lord. I came at the age of 18. Why didn't I come earlier? I didn't realize that I was a sinner. But when I was 18, I read that verse as it was presented to me. Jesus said, if you look upon a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. You are an adulterer. That was the first time in my life that I realized that I was a sinner. You must understand that you are a sinner and God offers to you 
free grace. He says, come to me. I will wipe out your transgressions and I will remember your sins no more. Come to him. If you feel that tug on your heart today, I'm going to pray. And I want you to repeat after me in prayer where you're inviting the Lord into your life. And if you have done that in this time, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands or anybody to come forward. You come to me afterward and say, I prayed that prayer with you today because I'm going to get you in a little program where I'm going to have, have 13 weeks of instruction with you. Meaning when I say I'm going to have it with you, I'm going to have somebody else have it with you. That's what I mean by that. And they're going to sit and, and one hour a week for 13 weeks and bring you through this so that God can begin to change you from within and change your heart. Let's pray. If you do not know the Lord, repeat after me in prayer. Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner. Forgive me. I believe in Jesus Christ that he has given his life for me and that he has risen from the dead for me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for filling my life. Now fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and change my life today. And Lord, I pray for the believers that are here that you would so work in their lives as they go through these times of flooding in their lives, these times of turmoil where they wonder, where is God in the midst of this? After 150 days, where is God? And 375 days before they hear the voice of God again. Father, I pray that you would give them little signs, like an olive leaf that means something to them. Father, to let them know that you are still there. And that as they go through tribulation, that you would put upon them proven character. And that through that, they would have hope. Because when they have hope, that will not disappoint. Father, draw these young people to your son. Lord, I pray that they would remember this message. Remember that times of tribulation are going to build their character and give them hope. They would remember Noah in that ark when the times of tribulation hit them, when they have times of great loss, loss of a job and they still have to support a family, loss of a loved one. Father, that they would remember this message on that day and trust you, Lord, and that through that experience that you would build them all the stronger when the floods of life hit them Build them up, I pray, so that they can look back on those times and say, Lord, I thank you for what you did in my life in that time. Lord, bless them, I pray. Draw them close to you. In the name of Jesus, amen.